Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning as we begin our series of study in the spiritual gifts. And before we do, would you be kind enough to join me as I pray? Father, we thank you that you are here now. That there's nowhere we can go to escape your presence. For some, that's a scary thought. But for those of us who know you, you are our hope. You are our light. You are our life. You are love and you define everything that is pure and right. Father, we don't know who we are. Some of us are farther down the road in this than others. But Lord, there's always more for you to reveal to us about who we are in you. Those of us who have been saved and who have been adopted, who have been grafted into you, the true vine, Lord, there's so much more that you have for us. God, we come before you today and ask that you would reveal to us yourself. And in seeing you, the light, we would know more fully who we belong to and how we've been designed to live life with great significance for the cause of your kingdom. We thank you that you are a faithful God, one who desires freedom for your children. And Jesus, you've told us if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. We proclaim your freedom for the captives today. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. So whenever we do anything, whenever we start a new series or whenever you do anything in your life, there's a really good question to ask yourself. And the question is simply this, why? Why am I doing what I'm doing now? So many of us walk through life just kind of going through the motions. You know, we have our habits, we have our own little liturgy developed, we have the way in which we live our lives, we get up every morning, we do some of the same things, and we walk through some of the same things, and we say some of the same things, and we encounter some of the same people. But sometimes we don't ever stop to ask ourselves the question, why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And why am I living the way that I am living? Well, today I want to answer the question why we're doing this series on spiritual gifts, and I'm going to answer it right from the Word of God because there's no other place to go. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, we've been given teachers here at Grace. We've been given those with apostolic gifting here at Grace. We've been given those with prophetic gifting here at Grace. We've been given all kinds of people with all kinds of gift for one sole purpose, that the body of Christ would be built up to reach unity in the faith and that God would be glorified. Now, the more we walk in our gifts, the more that we understand how God designed us, the more that this happens, the more that God is glorified, the more that the church is unified, and the more that people are edified. Now, many of you know the mission statement of Grace Fellowship Church. We're called to be used by God to, would you say it with me, bring them in, build them up, and send them out by His grace and for His glory. You see, that's a vision or a mission. That gives us a reason to live here at Grace together. Why? Because we're used by Jesus to bring them in. That doesn't mean bring them into the church building. 
It doesn't mean bring them into our homes, although those are good places to start. It means to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we invite them to know the one who loves them more than anybody ever could or ever will. So we bring them and we build them up. That means that each one would know his unique gift, his or her unique gift, and that they would be built up in that gift and that they would rise up to be who God has called them to be so that they would shine like stars, the scripture says. And then we send them out. What does that mean? Well, you're going to leave here today and you're going to be sent out. You see, so many people get sent out from this place. We're not just talking about on a Sunday morning. Look at the Dream Center. Look at Adopt-A-Block. Look at our missionaries. You see, we're supposed to go out into the world, Jesus says, and let our light shine before men that they would see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. You see, you're supposed to walk as a witness, one who has been transformed for the glory of God. So, When we function in our gifts, the people around us are built up, but the people around us are not the only ones who are built up. You see, you're built up when you know your gifts. You're built up when you function in your unique design. You're built up because there's really three levels of living. The first one is survival. How many of you would ever say that you defined your life, at least at some point, as just merely surviving? Anybody out there? I have been there. Doesn't that just, like, stink? Just to survive. And you know, sometimes you feel like that's the best I can do is to survive. Now, another level of living is what the world defines as success. That's when you feel like you're finally getting your way in the world. You know, a certain level of kind of uh, prosperity comes to you. You've reached some rung on the opinion ladder where finally people will respect you. And you think that that's really what's going to fulfill you. But can I tell you, God did not create you just to survive. He did not create you to live according to the world's definition of success. He created you to be significant for the kingdom of God. That's a different level of living. And can I tell you, when you live that way, it will change your life. Oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Why does the scripture beckon us to taste him? Just to taste him. Why? Because you will never be satisfied with anything else. David says, my my soul is satisfied as with the richest of foods. He's not talking about food. He's talking about his relationship with God. You see, and so when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he speaks to us. And when we kind of listen to the Holy Spirit guide us through life, he reveals to us not only who he is, but who we are in him. And as he shines the light on how he's gifted us and who we are in him, it changes our lives. Here's the first thing that knowing your gifts will do for you. It will reduce your frustration in life. I can guarantee you this. Listen to James 1.8. A double-minded man can never keep a steady course. You ever feel like you get up in the morning and you can't keep a steady course? (laughs) I feel this way a lot. First of all, I get up and I'm left with this guy right in here. Whoa, is it a mess in there? Thanks be to Jesus Christ that I can go to my Lord and I can get this stuff straightened out before I even start my day. But you know, when I forget to go to Him, I feel like I am double-minded and I can't keep a steady course. Well, am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? And I feel like I'm divided and then I get so frustrated. Why? I'm lacking focus. Listen to Isaiah 49.4. I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Ever feel that way? 
Gosh, Lord, I've been putting all this time into this thing, and I feel like I've labored for no purpose. I've just poured out my strength for vain and for nothing. And God says, Jeff, yeah, you have, but you didn't listen to me before you started. You see, if you know who you are and how you're gifted and how you're wired, it will reduce your frustration. But not only that, it will increase your motivation. You see, because um, Job says here, my life drags by day after hopeless day. I'm tired of living. My life makes no sense. You see, it was at a point in his life here where he lacked motivation. Why? He, didn't, he wasn't making sense of why he existed. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 11. Those of you who know it can say it with me. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now look, how many of you need more hope in your life? You see what I'm saying? Like if you know who you are in Christ, if you know who he is, and if you understand your wiring, then you have plans for a future. You have a hope. You have vision. And there God rushes to you and he infuses you with hope. So it reduces your frustration and increases your motivation. And it allows for concentration, focus. Can I tell you something? Knowing my gifts in my life has helped me to say yes to some things and no to a lot of things. How many of you have a hard time saying no to stuff? Do you know Jesus said no all the time? Do you know people were trying to get him to be someone who he was not or to do things that he was not supposed to do? He said, I only do what the Father's telling me to do. I only do what the Father's doing. I see what he's doing, then I do what he's doing. Right? But people said, oh, come on, now change the government. Well, no, I'm going to like overthrow the entire government of the world. But I'm going to do it my way, not your way. No. Well, Jesus, there's more people over here. He says, nope, I'm going over there now. You know, Jesus Christ was a major disappointment to almost everybody who met him while he walked here on planet Earth, do you not? This is good words for you codependent Christians. You think somehow that your life job as a Christian is to please everybody. My Lord, stop it. It's exhausting. You walk around thinking, well, I have to be a Christian, so I'm going to please everybody around me. Jesus didn't do that, and he doesn't do it today. And so we're called to actually have focus in our lives, concentration. And as a result of knowing who we are and our gifts, listen to Proverbs 4.25. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Then stick to the path. Don't get sidetracked. Philippians 3.13, I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. Forgetting what is behind and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press onward. You see, this will allow for you to focus and be concentrated in your life. So it reduces frustration and increases your motivation. It allows for focus and concentration, and it will attract cooperation eventually. If you know your giftedness, what's going to happen is you're going to start to function a new way. And when you walk in that, it will start attracting people to you. Why? Because they want what you have. And you can tell them then, what I have is not gifts. I have a gift giver. And his name is Jesus. And so what happens is, in Proverbs eleven twenty 20, it says, if your goals are good, you will be respected. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to respect you. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. So get that thought out of your head. If you start living in your gifts, you're going to actually find quite a bit of resistance from people. 
Maybe some of the people closest to you. Because you're going to start saying no to them, and they don't like that. But you're going to start saying yes to them in a new way that's going to be more fulfilling and more edifying than ever before. See, what happens when you function in your gifts is that you can become somewhat of a catalyst. You start drawing people to you who are like-minded, and they will walk with you as you follow the Lord together. Listening to the Lord and letting Him guide you in your giftedness and unique purpose on life is simply the best way you can live your life. Unfortunately, so many people in the body of Christ don't know what their gifts are, and therefore they wander about aimlessly, many of them experiencing some level of worldly success, but never tasting the richness of what it means to live a life of kingdom significance. God has put a longing in your heart. And either you can stay busy on the surface of your life, or you can go deep with Him and to understand what it means to live your life for the cause of the kingdom of God. So I want to start with some basic understandings. You know, when we do teaching preparation here at Grace, and I oversee teaching here at Grace, and so when I coach any of the guys on the phone or in person, and we're getting ready to, you know, go through a message, whether somebody else is delivering or I am, like we ask some questions. And here's the simple questions. What does God want people to know? And what does God want people to do? What does God want people to know? And what does God want people to do? You see, uh, there's certain things that we need to understand about him. And can I tell you the foundational thing that God wants you to know is that he loves you. He loves you. Like, with a love that is unbelievable, he loves you with a love that goes beyond measure. And he longs for you to know how much he loves you because if you do, his love will set you free. And his love will come to you and his love will move through you. And you will be light. But God wants us to know all kinds of things. So here's the first thing that I want you to know today that I think God wants you to know. Every single one of you has tremendous value in the kingdom of God. Now look, the enemy of God will lie to you and he will tell you that you are worthless. He will want to pummel you and push you down and tell you all kinds of lies about yourself. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not slim enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not you fill in the blank. Those are lies from the pit of hell. You are a child of the Most High God. You are deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And if you understand that you have tremendous value and that God has gifted you, you will start to walk in that. Can I tell you something? Your enemy doesn't want that. Your enemy does not want you to know that you were knit together in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. Everyone has value. Now look, before God, we're all little children. And I wonder sometimes why God lets me participate in his kingdom. It's because he loves me. You know, I had a buddy, um, he's my best, one of my best friends in the world. His name is Brian Johnson. He talked to her years ago. Um, Brian's a phenomenally gifted musician, and he teaches at a college, and he's on staff at a church out in California. And I remember um, we used to meet at Howard Community College all the time because we taught together there in Columbia. We taught music, and we would go in and pray for the students, and we would worship together early in the mornings, and I loved my time with Brian. I just think back on that, and I just want to cry. <laughs> Because he's a great brother in the Lord. And when friends are friends in the Lord, friends are friends forever when they're the Lord's the Lord of them, right? That's that old Michael W. Smith song that those of us who are over 50 know. (laughs) 
So I remember Brian coming in one morning and telling me that he had built a retaining wall in his home the day before, and he said that he saw God all over the place. And I said, why? He said, well, because I let, you know, Danny help me. And Danny was probably six years old at the time. And, uh, you know, six-year-olds don't build retaining walls, right? But um, he just wanted to be with his dad. And so, you know, Brian told me that, you know, he got Danny out there and he let Danny do stuff. And he let Danny put mortar between the bricks and Danny slopped the mortar all over the place and the bricks were lopsided, and, you know, and, and um, it was such a mess. And the wall, when it was done, didn't look pretty at all. But Danny was so happy. Why? He got to work with his dad. He helped his dad build that wall. Look at that wall. And you know what Brian did? He said, Danny, what a beautiful wall we built together. And inside he's going, I think I'm going to have to fix that tomorrow. (laughs) But you know, he said, and this is what really got me when Brian told me this story. He said, what really got me was I, st- I watched Danny work, and he was just so happy, and he was just so sloppy, and he was making all these kinds of mistakes, and he said, I knew that that's what I look like to God. And I know that God allows me to participate in his work. Why? Because he just loved to see me happy working with my dad. God doesn't need us to help. He's not some old man in need of our help. That's not who God is. He is the sovereign of the universe. But can I tell you, he invites us to work with him because he longs to share his significance with us. And he longs for us to experience his joy and for his kingdom to come, his will to be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. And it's such a mystery and such a gift that we get to participate with him. You have value. Child of God. Now look, you got to understand this too. There are different types of gifts. I wish Paul said that I'll be like I were. Each of you have their own gift from God. One has this gift and another one has that. And here he's talking about singleness and marriage. But it applies to all the gifts. And it applies to all the gift passages, which we'll be going through here in the next four weeks. But there's different types of gifts. So I want to point you to this handout that was distributed. If you have that, you can take that out. If you don't have one, you can pick up one on the way out today. This little handout will help you uh, either continue in your journey of understanding your giftedness or even begin for some of you who have never really understood this. And that little handout, um, there's on the second page, uh, spiritual gifts list and descriptions that Chris Sizek had put together for us as a staff. And you can look at that And you can start understanding the gifts in the scripture and even where they lie. Um, And you can look at those passages as well. So that's something that's there for you. Um, Now, each of us have different gifts. And we have to understand how boring it would be if we all had the same gift. It would be horribly boring. But God has given gifts to each of us as he has decided to. Um, God created us diverse and he longed for us to work together as one, even though we're different by design. Um, A lot of times our gifts can get in the way if the enemy gets behind them because we think everybody's supposed to do things the way that we do. And that's not true because each person has different gifts. So there's things that my wife does very differently than me. And when we were first married, it was very easy for me to judge them. I'm like, well, why aren't you just more like me? And God just whispered to me, well, if she was more like you, you guys would have killed each other already. (laughs) Like, she's designed differently And the scripture declares that we're all members of one body, which is a passage I think that Brother Ben will get into. Is that right, Ben? Am I on the right one? Yeah. But, um, you know, we're we're all to work as one. 
And so there's differentnesses in the giftness to have. So we all have value, but we're different in that value. Now, look, spiritual gifts are different from your talents and your abilities. This is very important that you understand this because uh, many of us were kind of born with or developed natural abilities and talents, but these aren't necessarily tied to your spiritual gifts. So I'm going to give you a little personal case in point for me. Um, God gave me a gift of music when I was young, and I, God used that music in my life for a long time. And I love music. I, I love music. I love playing music and listening to music. But I got on a course where I thought music was the primary calling for me. So I, you know, performed in Europe and I did all these kinds of crazy things and all that sounds very stellar, but it really wasn't the path. It really wasn't God's design for me. Now, God used it all. I'm not looking on the past and regretting it. I don't want to shut the door on that. But what I'm saying is that that really wasn't the pathway of life for me. Now, um, I can play piano pretty well. And when people hear me play, often they'll say something like this, you are wasting your gift. And I go, wow, that, oh, I don't usually say it, but in my mind I go, well, that's a pretty deep judgment. And, you know, when I, um, there were people around me that did not want me to do what I do now. See, there are people in my life who don't know Jesus, and they didn't really think I should be a pastor. They thought that was an absolute waste of time. Uh, What's this teaching the word, word of God stuff? Just go play the piano. That's what you're supposed to do. See, there's natural abilities and and, and kind of talents that you have that the world around will try and push you into that place. And they'll say, well, that's what you're supposed to do, obviously. But that's not the same as your spiritual gift. You see, spiritual gifts come down from on high. And spiritual gifts, this is the way that they're used in such a way that God will infuse you with a supernatural ability to do something that you could not do on your own. That's a spiritual gift. Now, look, some of you may be good at organizing, but that doesn't mean you have the gift of administration. Some of you may be great cooks and hostesses or hosts, but that doesn't mean you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. You may, your spiritual gift may line up with those things, but you have to understand that when you serve the body of Christ in your spiritual gifts, you are enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why they're called spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are tied to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he enables you and empowers you to do things for the kingdom of God. So how do I discover my gifts? Let's talk about that. Here's a starting place, and I'm going to give this to you with a caveat. The caveat is this. Don't put stock in this. Now, look, for years, the evangelical church has been encouraging people to take spiritual gifts inventories. And they are good tools. So I want you to be able to, you know, go to our website, and there you'll find a link to click on a a spiritualgiftstest.com. It's also in your handout, the website. You can go directly to spiritualgiftstest.com if you want and take a spiritual gifts test. It's an inventory, and it will be a great place for you to start if you haven't done this already, okay? And even if you have done it already, do it again. That's helpful. But you will not find your gifts or discover your gifts by taking an inventory. We're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? Um, But taking that inventory will be a great way to either affirm or kind of give you some things to think about. I took it and I came up apostolic and prophetic, which doesn't surprise me. Um, Those are gifts that I have. But when I heard the word prophetic again, I've been told apostolic gifting, but prophetic again, I went, oh, yeah, that's true of me. See, it reminded me of something in me that God has given me. And when I need to be reminded, because then I can more fully walk 
in that way. But there are far more important ways that you discover your gifts, and those are the ways that we're going to start to talk about today. So here's the first one. Listen to God through His Spirit, His Word, and His people. Now, this goes without saying. You're in a relationship. The only way that you're going to have the revelation of who you are and your giftedness is to hear from God. Now, He speaks through His Spirit, through His Word, and His people. And so you have to be willing to listen to Him while He speaks to you. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. So there will be people around you, if they don't know Jesus Christ, who will not honor your choices to walk in your gifts. Why? Because to them, it is foolishness. When Tracy and I were exercising our giftedness and taking our children halfway around the world to spend time with missionaries in different countries, some of those countries considered hostile, some of our relatives thought we were absolutely nuts. And they'd say things like, you are such a fool. And I'd go, uh, I didn't say that to them. I didn't say, well, no, you're the fool. Because <laughs> you don't understand what we're doing because you don't have the spirit of God. See, but the, the people infused with the spirit of God will want to kind of pour fuel on your spiritual gifts. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But they are discerned only through the spirit. So you have to understand that you're going to understand these things as you walk with Jesus Christ. Now, hearing God requires seeking God, which requires waiting on God, which requires following after God. It requires your participation. I've been studying the hundreds of passages in the scripture about seeking God in preparation for the fall. There are hundreds of promises in the scripture about seeking God. He says, you seek God, you'll find God. Jesus says, you seek after me, there is by no means will I ever turn you away. You have to seek after him. You're called to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That doesn't mean you can just sit around and wait for God to come visit you. I mean, he will, but you probably won't like the way that he comes to you. You see, he'll knock you on your can. And then you'll kind of get low enough to look up and cry out to him. He's like, that's what I was looking for all the time. Just cry out to him now. Like, that's the best way to go. You'll still get knocked on your can some, but it'll be far easier in the long run for you if you seek after him. But here's the problem. Most of us are far too distracted and far too busy to go deep. And this is, this is, our, this is our problem, and this is the ploy of the evil one. You see, he wants to keep you so busy on the surface of your life that you don't go deep with Jesus because if you listen to him through his spirit, his word, and his people, you will discover who you are. And then you will start to function according to who you are. Look, the enemy's first uh, kind of strategy is to keep you from coming to Christ. And if you're here today and you've come to Christ already, he's lost that war. You're going home to be with the Lord forever someday which is incredible. He's lost you already. Satan has lost you. But if he can't win that war, you know what he wants to do? Keep you from becoming effective. He wants to just kind of keep you down so you'll pass as one passing through the flames. You'll make it home, but your colors are not going to be clear because you're so preoccupied with the things of this world, you're so engrossed with the things of this world that you're not thinking of the heavenly realms. You're not in the heavenly realms where God has already placed you. He wants to distract you. And so God longs for you to go deep with him so that you will be effective in him. And this requires that we listen to him 
through his spirit, his word, and his people. So some of you, as I'm talking, may even have some stirrings in you. You may be thinking about some things that you believe you're called to, maybe things that you've heard nudgings or promptings from in the past, but you never really pursued them. Maybe there's gifts that you have or desires that you have or passions you have in the Lord, but you've never really gone after them. The Lord is patient. He'll continue to prompt you. He'll continue to push you. And the thing is, you need to listen to him in order to discover your gifts and your calling in life. But you need to follow. See, when you listen, you need to follow godly promptings and test them in community. So what this means, I'm going to read from Acts um, 2, 42 and 43 here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, by the way, there are spiritual gifts going on right here in this little fellowship, this community in the book of Acts. There's spiritual gifts. There's apostles' teaching. There's fellowship there. There's the breaking of bread, which probably means hospitality is going on. Prayer, that's a gift of faith. You see, the body is already functioning according to God's plan, together as one, but different. Listen to what the scripture says. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs by the apostles were done. So I want to give you something that a pastor gave me many years ago. This is probably, oh Lord, I don't know. I lose track of time, right? I'm old now. I'm 57, and so this is probably 25, 30 years ago. I don't know. If Tracy were here, maybe Mark Fair could tell me. He always remembers everything. Um, a pastor played a significant role in my life, and I was able to sit down with him, and I told him, I have this longing in my heart to teach God's Word, but I don't even know where to begin. You see, God gave me a longing. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. That's called your holy discontent. It's your passion. God gives us passions, and you might want to start asking yourself the question, what am I passionate for? What am I passionate about? What am I passionate against? You see, God hates stuff. There's stuff that God hates. God hates sin. God hates slavery. Why does God hate sin? Because he loves people and sin hurts people. That's why God hates sin. You see, but there's stuff that God has probably planted in your heart and you're passionate about. If you're not passionate, check your pulse. It's probably because you're numb. And you're probably numb because you're going too fast. And you're probably numb because you're not going to the Lord, but you're allowing the things of the world to beat up your soul. You've got to go to the Lord. But see, I was passionate. I had a passion in my heart, but I didn't know how to do it. I said I wanted to teach God's word. I really felt like it was something that I was supposed to do. I had seen other people do it, and it inspired me, and I wanted to do it. And I sat down with this guy who I had great respect for, and I said, should I go to seminary? And he looks at me, and he goes, don't just go to seminary. He said, there's a lot of people in seminary that don't belong there. He said, by the way, I've been to seminary, and we called it cemetery. I thought that was interesting. He said, this is what you're supposed to do. He said, pray for a door to open. And when the door opens, walk through it. And if something awesome happens, you're supposed to be doing it. I want you to, I want you to think about that for a second. Pray for a door to open. If the door opens, walk through it. And if something awesome happens, then you're supposed to be doing it. You see, if you have some inklings in your heart, if you have some passion in your heart, if you have some unrealized giftedness, if you have something that God is calling you to, pray for the door to open. If the door opens, walk through it. And if something awesome happens, you're supposed to be doing that. Well, that's what I did. I'll never forget this. This was like 30 years ago or something. So I prayed. I went to the Lord and I just got on my face and I said, Lord, I think you were speaking to me through this dude. Like, 
please open a door. If you want me to do this, open a door so that I might walk through the door. And two weeks later, I get a call from a pastor who I had known, and he said, hey, I was wondering if you'd be willing to come and teach a little series for us. And I was like, are you kidding me? He said, no, no. He said, I've been hearing you talk about the spiritual disciplines you've been going through. And he said, oh, maybe our body think could benefit from that. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like I'm in. He said, don't you have to pray about it? I said, I've been praying about it. Door open, I'm going. Now I walked through with fear and trembling. I was teaching college, and I didn't know what it meant to teach the Word of God, but the Word of God lived in me. His name's Jesus, and so I trusted him, right? And it takes risks, by the way, to do this. And so I walked through the door, and I ended up teaching this two-week series at the first service at this little church out in Howard County, and people's lives were being changed. People would come after me. And say, the second week, they'd say, Pastor, I... I'm reconciling relationships in my life right now. God's changing me. Like, I'm forgiving my spouse. Like, this is happening. Like, and I'm like, holy crow. What's going on? Now, by the way, I'm going to define to you what I think um, awesome means in a second. But I want to give you a little quote from Henry Nouwen. It says this, You truly discover your gifts in the eyes of those who receive them. But you can never depend on their affirmation in order to exercise them. I'm going to say that again. Truly, you'll discover your gifts in the eyes of those who receive them. You need to have some validation for your giftedness in the people around you. And if you're not in community, by the way, you're probably not going to discover your gifts because gifts are meant to be used in community. But you'll discover your gifts in the eyes of those around you, but you cannot depend on their affirmation to exercise them. There are times where God has taken away any affirmation from anybody for my teaching gift in my life. One time I transitioned from one church to another. I started teaching there. And then the first three months, not one person said anything good about my teaching. And about three weeks into that, I went, God, what the heck is going on? And he looked at me and he said, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to win the approval of man? Are you doing this because you believe I've made you for this? See, that's a different thing altogether. And I got on my knees and on my face before God, and I said, God, please forgive me. I'm doing this because of who I am in you and who you are in me and because I believe you called me to it. He said, then just keep going. Remember that Dory? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. She was brilliant. Dory, she was brilliant. Just keep swimming. So, so a lot of times it, it, what will happen is that God will remove affirmation from you. Why? It's a test. He's refining you. He's saying to you, why are you in this? Are you in this for you? Or are you in this for my glory? Just keep going. See, we need to live in spirit-filled community to discover and exercise your gifts. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in a house church, get in one. If you don't have one to get in, start one. Like, like that's what, you can get three or four people together and start meeting together in your homes and praying and searching out the Lord. And there'll be a great opportunity coming in the fall for you to jump into a series together or maybe even this one. But you need a tribe. You need to have a tribe. And I don't know what your workplace is, but unless you're working with believers all the time, that's probably not your tribe. So how do I decide awesome if it brings glory to God? If what you're doing brings glory to God, that's considered awesome. It magnifies God. Now, do not diminish the impact of very small things. You could say, well, Jeff, I mean, you were preaching, and obviously it's bringing glory to God because people's lives are being changed. Now, that's not, you can change people's lives more than I can just by giving someone a cup of cold water. Do not minimize the impact that you have for even the seemingly smallest gift given. Talk about that more in a minute. 
So if it brings glory to God, and if it serves others and facilitates life change, if you find it fulfilling to do it, not easy, not a tiptoe through the tulips all the time, because I can tell you there's plenty of times where I wanted to quit teaching the Word of God. Do something easier. I'm going to dig a ditch for you, Jesus. You know, but it's not always easy, but you find it fulfilling to do, which means when you stop doing it, you start to wilt. You know, I recovered from a stroke over four years ago. About that time, about four years ago, I recovered from a stroke, and I was out for like a good three, four months of teaching. I didn't teach at all. And, you know, part of my struggle was coming to the reckoning that I had a stroke and all that stuff, but my spirit started going down because I wasn't doing what I was designed to do. So if, if you start to wilt when you stop doing something, you know that's probably part of your giftedness from God. You're fulfilled in doing it, and it causes you to wilt, and you see it clearly in Scripture. Obviously, if your gift or the gift you think you have is not in line with Scripture, then it's obviously not a spiritual gift. So we've got to test them in community. Now, look, we have to follow Jesus into honest and encouraging relationships with wise people. If you want to discover your gift, you have to be around other people. And you have to be willing to allow them to take a part in your life to speak into you. Now, that doesn't mean you give your power away to one person. Because if one person says you're a horse, okay. If two people say you're a horse, then you start paying attention, right? If three people say you're a horse, you better buy a saddle. Like, that's the way it goes, right? So you got to follow Jesus and encouraging relationships with wise people. The scripture says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become and respect the mature body. See, scripture's tying together here are speaking the truth and love to our maturing in him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, when God's people come into your life, you have to allow them to speak into you. And when they speak to you in love and in honesty, the honesty part sometimes hurts. I've talked to people before that have said, I think I have this gift, and they exercise it in front of me and around me and so on and so forth, and and I see them at work, and I have at some point go to them and say, honestly, like, I don't really know if that's your gift. It can be really hurtful. I heard a story once of a pastor who was preaching weekly, and, 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 and you know, not just on Sundays, but Wednesdays at his church, and another pastor spoke into him because he invited him to listen to his messages. And uh, the pastor had to get back to him at one point and said, I've listened to about 10 or 12 of your messages, and I have to be honest with you, like, I don't think you have the gift of teaching. And that man who received that word, it said it broke his heart. So there was no communication between these two pastors for quite some time. But a year later, the pastor that had delivered the honest and loving word got a letter from this guy. And it said, started this way, thank God for you. I thank God for you because if you hadn't spoken truth into my life, I would still be trying to be a lead pastor. And what I've discovered in my life is that I'm supposed to work with troubled youth, and I'm doing it, and I'm more fulfilled than I ever was before. Praise be to God. So we need to allow people to speak into us. Now, don't give your power away to people, especially one person. But if your community around you knows Jesus and they walk in the Spirit, then they're seeing things in you that you need to hear. How many of you ever watched American Idol? Yeah, most people have. How many of you have ever seen these gifted vocalists, right? Some of the best that have come out of there, Carrie Underwood and Reuben Stoddard and Kelly Clarkson and David Archuleta. Like, some of these people are amazing, right? You can be saying, oh my gosh, they're incredible. But then there are people who can't sing at all. 
Now look, some of these people we know are probably just setups, right? They just come in, they know they can't sing, and they're getting time on TV, and it's often sensational. But I'll lay you money, there is a certain segment of these people that come in who really think they can sing. And, and then they get before these judges, and they're like blindsided. I'm going to play just a few clips of some people who can't sing. And um, we're going to listen to them, and then we're going to listen especially to a woman at the end named Tomiqua, okay? And we're going to listen to the dialogue, and I want you to pay careful attention to that. I got sunshine on a cloudy day when it's cold outside. I've got the middle of May. Well, I guess you say what can make me feel this way, my girl. Stephen, 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 stop. If I invest in America and I believe I can do a lot for this country, I love selling music and I love performing. Okay. Great. All right. Great. Why don't you give us, give well, why don't you start with whatever song you want? As I look into your eyes, I tell you what I see. Girl, you're the one I'm gonna keep in my dreams. I wanna hold you close. Give you everything, girl, I'ma let you know. You're lonely wearing my diamond ring. I wanna keep you in my heart. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? The novel to lightning, very, very frightening thing. Aw, come on. Come on, turn the lights down. Maybe we've made a mistake. I think we may have made a mistake. We've made a big mistake. Oh. But if the judges thought they were tough, they hadn't yet met Tamika. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. Thank you. Randy. I don't think that you're a solo singer at all. I think you're I'm more, sorry? I don't feel that you're a solo singer. I don't feel that you have a solo singer's voice. <laughs> a whole lot better than you do. And for you to tell me I need lessons? Tamika, Tamika, enough, <laughs> enough, enough, enough. Oh, enough. I'm hurt. I'm hurt and I'm angry. You Feisty. You're not standing where Welcome I'm to American Idol Smackdown. You're not standing here being judged by people about how you sing. You're not singing, are you? And for you to tell me that I need lessons? Tamika, Tamika. 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 Listen to me. Tamika. Tamika. Not Tamika. 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 Go to an audition where they lie to you. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, no, I'm not about to go, go. to an audition go, where go, they go, lie go to there. me. Yeah, we're telling you the truth and you don't want to hear it. Go there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Because y'all got problems. Y'all got major issues. Okay. So we'll talk about Tamika in a second. Um, but how did these people get here? You know, um, some of the earlier ones, I mean, it was pretty obvious. You kind of went, this person really can't sing. I mean, they're a great person created in the image of God. Obviously, God loves them, but this is not their gift. How did they end up going before judges at American Idol? How did they get there? I'll tell you probably how they got there. Nobody told them the truth. I'm sure they have friends and family. I mean, that young guy, I felt so horrible for him. He's like, I love to perform. I love to make money with music. I'm like, who is buying that dude's music? Like, and he got up there, and he did this most awkward thing. And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad for you. Nobody's ever really told you that that's horrible. Now, of course, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. 
But many of us withhold truth for what we think is love, and it's really just fear. Many of us think we're truth towers and we forget the love part. And, you know, I think um, as you look at these judges here, one of the reasons why so many people got um, attracted to Simon Cowell is because he was, like, really honest, right? Uh, he didn't, really wasn't very good at the love part often. But, like, I think the truth is that we're called to live in community that is both loving and honest. And we don't give all our power away to individual people because there are people that wish for your demise. There are people that don't like you. You don't give your power away to them. But again, it's the consensus of God's community around you that validates your giftedness. I've always told the elders something here. Do not leave me in this role any longer than I'm effective. If I'm not effective, please tell me. I don't want to do this anymore. I was with my coach on the phone I coach with Keith Yoder. He's one of our overseers. I was on the coach uh, on the phone with him about a month ago, and I was telling him where we're going in the fall, and he said, hmm, Jeff, it seems like God has given you another season of grace to lead Grace Fellowship Church. I went, thank you, Lord. But if he would have said to me something like, Jeff, I think you're drying up. It'd be time for you to do something else. That would hurt, but it would be right. So, why? Why does Tomika get so highly offended and become so incredibly defensive? You see, why has she got this wall around her? Randy spoke her and he said, look, you know, I, I just don't think that you have a lead vocalist voice. There wasn't anything unloving about that. He spoke very truthfully to her. He just said, I don't, I don't think you have it. He didn't say it was horrible or anything. He just said, look, and she got so highly offended and became so incredibly defensive. Why? Can I tell you why? It's a universal human problem. She's basing her identity on her ability to sing. It's called performance-based identity. And every single one of us struggle with this. This is what makes us highly offendable and very defensive when people try and speak into our lives. And they say, hey, man, I love you. You're awesome in so many ways. But that thing right there, you just don't do that very well. And that's okay, you don't have to, because there's other people, how dare you say that about me? See, right away, I'm in this defensive posture. Can I tell you something, child of God? If you base your identity on your performance, that is shifting sand. You are a holy one. You are deeply loved, and you're completely accepted by God. And as a result of that, you are free not to be good at everything. You are free to take feedback with others without becoming offended. Why? Because your identity is not based on what you do. Your identity is based on the person of Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. You are affiliated with him. You're a child of God. That's who you are. Anything you do, more or less anything you don't do, doesn't affect your identity. You're secure in him. So if you're secure in him, then you're secure enough to discover your gifts without the fear of being rejected. Why? Because you've already been accepted. And Tomika's heart is the same thing that's in every single one of our hearts. We want to be accepted. Problem is, we turn to the ways of the world to try and find acceptance. When Jesus said, I've already deemed you accepted. I shed my blood for you. So if you're accepted by me, rest in me. See, when we rest in him, then we're free in him. And then we can actually start to determine how we're called to live for him. Now, this is called your holy discontent. How many of you hate stuff? 
How many of you love stuff? Now, when I say stuff, I'm not talking about your car or anything like that. I'm just thinking, are there things that you love that God loves? Are there things that you're passionate about that God is passionate about? Are there things that you hate that God hates? Let's take sex trafficking, for instance. Do you hate that? I hope you hate that. I hope you hate that from the bottom of your heart. Why? Because it's horrifying and God hates it too. You see, there are people who are so passionate in that area. They are so filled with a calling from God to stand against the evil of sex trafficking that they have found their purpose in God by using all the authority that they've been given in Christ Jesus to fight against that evil. What about you? You know, the woman who founded MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, you know how she started that organization? She lost her son to a drunk driver. God uses your pain. God uses your struggles. You just got to let him. He, see, he creates stuff in you that is in your heart, and this is called your holy discontent. And this is why I have a big push for life mission statements. In that handout I gave you, you can look at it before, and many of you have already been through this exercise, but this is my semi-annual touch on you and push to have you revisit your life mission statement. If you've never allowed God to create one in and through you, I would strongly recommend it. You see, like my first life mission statement ever came to me, it's like 35 years ago, and it was to rest in the love of God and through faith be light to a desperate world. God said, Jeff, I want you to know something. If you do nothing else here on planet Earth, I want you to know how much I love you. And so just come to me, Jeff, because you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I, I, just let, let my love in. You got to spend time with me, but if I rest in the love of God, then I become through faith, which is the risk part, through faith, light to a desperate world. Now, years later, God gave me a more refined mission statement that kind of fulfills my purpose here, to motivate, inspire, and teach those around me to experience the depth of God's love and live lives fully devoted to Jesus Christ. If there's anything that I can be used by God to say to you that motivates you, inspires, and teaches you, to experience the love of God. I'm not talking about just know about it. I'm talking about experience the love of God. And to live your life fully devoted to Jesus Christ, then I'm on fire for God. You know why? Because I do not like apathy. I don't like it in me, and I don't like it in other people. I don't like lukewarmness in me, and I don't like it in other people. And I long for people around me to be passionate for Jesus Christ because they know how much he loves them. That is my holy discontent. I look into people's eyes, every, I look into Tomika's eyes, and I go, man, honey, if you just knew how much God loved you, you could lay down all this stuff, and you could have thanked Randy and walked out and trusted Jesus for the next right thing. But instead, you got your dukes up, girl. Put them down. Why? Because you're loved. That's a holy discontent for me. You see, and if you understand who you are in Christ and you understand how he's gifted you, then you can understand what you're called to do. Why am I so big on life mission statements? Because Jesus had one. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the captives free. See, when Jesus came, he came with a heart of love and freedom for you. And for me. 
He said, that's my objective and nothing will stop me, not even the cross. I'm going to shed my blood for you. I'm going to die for you so that you would be free because my heart is focused and I am motivated for the joy set me before me is you. I love you. So I would strongly encourage you to trust God to guide you in this journey of discovering your holy discontent and maybe coming up with a life mission statement if you don't have one. Five, we're going to finish here. Rejoice in what God is doing in you without comparison. Say this after me. Comparison always kills community. Always. And when you kill community with comparison, your gifts start to wilt. Why? Because you either go in or out. We'll talk about that in a second. But look, when you celebrate what God's doing in you, you've been given permission to have parties every day. Each one may take pride in their own actions. They can test themselves, and then they can take pride in themselves. This is not a bad kind of pride. This is a good kind of pride. This is like, oh my gosh, Jesus, look what you just did in me. Now, I've been practicing this regularly in my journal again. You know, when I pray, I pray for God to change my heart in certain ways. And then there's a promise that I count on in that prayer. And I want to move to praise and see my life change, but always in the middle is a test. Always in the middle is a test. I said, God, refine me this way. And then he like brings my mother-in-law into the equation. God, refine me this way. And then this issue comes up with my daughter's dog, like ripping the door apart in the, you know, like there's something that comes up and he goes, well, you ask for that, bro. But I didn't want it. Jeff, I'm sovereign. You're not. How will I refine you now? You see, God longs to develop our character, but it doesn't come without tests. When you pass those tests, though, you throw a party. You go to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and you say, praise you, Lord. I can't believe what you did in me. And then you tell someone who can rejoice with you. And guess what you're doing? You're starting little flames, little fires of little parties. And you go to people who you know can rejoice with you, who you know can rejoice with you. And you say to them, can I tell you what God just did in me? They're like, bring it on. And then we have a little worship time right there to the glory of God. My daughter and I, we were talking about a week ago about preparation for the fall and I, was, I rolled out to her three months ago what I was working on, and we literally saw God like bring clarity to this thing like right in our presence. She's like, oh my gosh, that's the root and that's the fruit, and I'm like, I'm freaking out, and we are worshiping God in my kitchen for like 45 minutes because we're celebrating what God is doing in and through us. You just break into a chorus of hallelujah, right? But if you compare, you're going to kill. Why? Because when people compare, they either compare up or compare down. You either feed your ego or you feed your sense of inferiority. Most of us are egomaniacs with inferiority complexes. We just swing from one to the other. Today I'm better than everybody else. Today I'm a piece of dirt. We just go back and forth from other. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and God says, don't compare. Don't compare. Honor one another, but don't compare yourselves to each other. Why? Listen, because things are not what they appear to be. God says, my kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, and what appears to be of the least value may in the end actually be of the most value. You can take this to the bank, folks. I'm sure of this. Never say anything like, oh, I'm just a Sunday school teacher. Don't ever utter those words. No, I'm just an usher. I'm just this, I'm just that, I'm just this, I'm just that. Don't you ever devalue what God has called you to. 
Well, I have the gifts of helps. I guess it's not as great as Pastor Jeff's gift. Don't ever do that. Why? Because your gift of helps can be more for the kingdom of God than my gift of teaching could ever be. Things are not what they appear to be. In 1854, there was just a Sunday school teacher. His name was Edward Kimball. And on his heart was a young man, 16-year-old young man named Dwight Moody. And he decided to pop into where D.L. Moody worked, which happened to be a shoe store. And he said, I'm really worried about you. And he took the boy into the basement of the shoe store, and he told him about Jesus. Just a Sunday school teacher. You know who Dwight Moody is? D.L. Moody was used to lead thousands to Christ. He also led this guy named um, Wilbur Chapman to Christ, and Wilbur Chapman led this guy named Billy Sunday to Christ, and Billy Sunday led this guy Mordecai Ham to Christ, and Mordecai Ham led this guy named Billy Graham to Christ. That started with just a Sunday school teacher. And, you know, I've told this story before, but I've never really kind of told it with this twist. You know, Billy Graham was hanging out with one of his buddies when he was 16 years old. This is in 1936. Billy Graham was born in 1920. And they were out sowing their oats, and they were pretty wild young bucks in the world. And they decided to go to the tent meeting to hear what that wacko had to say. His name Mordecai Ham. God had another thing in mind. They were just clowning around inside the tent. And once they realized there was no room for them, Billy said to his buddy, let's get out of here. Billy initiated walking out of that tent and just going somewhere, probably grabbing a beer or doing something else they shouldn't be doing. And as they turned, an usher saw them. And the usher actually came over and put his arms around Billy and this other guy, and he said, hey guys, let me help you find a seat. And that usher walked him down, put him in the seat, and they heard the gospel that had come from a simple Sunday school teacher five generations before. And Billy Graham, as a 16-year-old, found Jesus Christ that night. Don't ever devalue what God has called you to do. For things are not what they appear. Father, we come before you now and we lift our lives to you and acknowledge that you are performing miracles in our midst even now. God, we ask that you would guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, most of all, that you would be glorified but that frustration would be reduced in our lives, that we'd be more motivated than ever, God. That you would help us to discover these holy discontents that you've put in our lives and the gifts that you have given us. And Lord, to celebrate every step of the way, knowing that everyone is valuable. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your love for us is enough. We ask simply that you would have your way at the body of Christ here at Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury, this little corner of the world, and in this region and around the world would be built up, reaching to the full measure of maturity. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I want to encourage the prayer team to come forward if they're here, everybody's here. And then I'm going to ask during this last song that we sing together, if you're in a place where you really believe God's put a holy discontent on your heart and you need to some prayer to start stepping in it, come on up. Maybe you're in a place where you're not walking in your giftedness or maybe you're in a place where you're numb and you just need an infusion of passion from the Lord. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm going to ask you to come forward and allow 
one of these folks to pray for you. Let's stand together and close with one final song.